Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. And a very warm welcome back to Solidarity Breakfast. A left response to the major developments in capitalism. What they trade in is not wheat. They trade in famine. A little dose of revolutionary optimism. I think it's really important to sort of express solidarity globally. It really is a deal by corporations for corporations. The union forever defending our rights down with the black If you think the ABC's left wing, don't listen to this program. Solidarity Breakfast, 7.30 to 9am Saturdays, 3CR, 8.55am. Streaming and 3CR digital, podcast or audio on demand. And of course, the website, solidaritybreakfast.org.au. Solidarity forever! Good morning. This is Annie for Solidarity Breakfast. It's freezing outside, so if you're listening to this live and you're under your doona, you are a lucky person. That's all I can say. But I braved the weather. It's not raining. It's just uh, that frosty, fantastic Melbourne uh, fogginess that's sort of a light, you know, emanating from every object outside the door. Anyway, we're warm and cosy in the studio, and we've got lots of things to to chat with you on this, as I said, very crisp morning. I have to first congratulate you, the listeners, for contributing to keeping 3CR. Radio for Change on the air. We've not quite made it, but we're pretty close. And uh, so uh, I have to thank you for uh, helping out Solidarity Breakfast so that we can continue to bring politics with your Wheaties. We're not quite there yet either. And so there is opportunities for you to just uh, dig a little bit deeper and help us over the line. Uh, In fact, one of the really nice things would be to... uh, by some of these wonderful books we've still got of Bill Della's story, which one of the our um, listeners has uh, created. They created this great book about Bill Della. It goes through his uh, life, his uh, political life, uh, his activism. It's in comic form, and it's a lovely, lovely piece of work. I'll uh, show, tell you a little bit later how you can actually get your mitts on it if you're interested and help us over the line. But uh, I'll first, before I do that, I'll tell you a little bit about what's on the show today. We're going to get uh, a chat with uh, Don Sutherland, who is a uh, a, a union man, uh, and uh, he went off to the uh, next-gen ACTU conference, which was held in Sydney this year, 26th to the 28th of June. It was, uh, from what I can gather, a big campaign uh, forming affair with a variety of people saying that it was inspirational. Now, I know people bandy these kind of words around, but we will hear from Don, who was actually there uh, to find out what he and he's an experienced uh, unionist to find out what his uh, uh, feelings were as well as uh, what uh, the new leadership uh, represented by Sally McManus actually brought to the table. So that's pretty interesting. Uh, we're also following up the lead of the uh, housing public housing debacle. Uh, we're going to talk to Peter Gray 
from uh, the who lives at one Turner Caravan Park. This is another aspect to the public housing debacle that's going on, or the lack of affordable housing that's going on in uh, major cities in Australia. This is Melbourne, and uh, they're having a protest at twelve thirty today at the uh, one. One Turner Caravan Park because uh, they're all being evicted because the land's being sold to a developer and even though there's long-term residents there, uh, nobody told them until they got an eviction notice earlier this year and uh, they they believe that they have rights and also where are they supposed to go? Anyway, we're going to find out more from Peter Gray. Uh, We've also going to hear, hopefully, if we've got enough time, uh, we're following up the dreadful outcomes for the Glenfell Tower people in London in a certain way and how it reflects uh, same kind of attitudes that are happening in Australia in regards to public housing and affordability of housing. But like I said, before we start that, and get on with the program, we'll start with a bit of a, um, a a suggestion about how you can get us across the line. New illustrated book by Alina and Bruce MacDonald stars our beloved comrade Bill Della as the protagonist in a journey that stems from Ballarat to Humpty Doo and features all the lefty issues that were dear to Bill's big heart. 3CR has a few precious copies of this beautiful book for sale for $20 plus $5 postage. All proceeds will go to the Solidarity Breakfast Program's Radiothon Fund. You can buy it online at the 3CR shop. Go to the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au, or pick up your copy at the station. It's a limited edition and there's only about 10 copies left, so there you go. If you want to uh, round off your bookshelves, that's one of the ways to do it. Uh, Actually, we've got another thing to report on this week. Uh, To start off the program, we're actually going to take you to Sydney. Uh, There was a demonstration last week and it was about, it was for nature, actually, Stand Up for Nature Rally. Now, later in the program, we're going to stand up for affordable housing, uh, but uh, this was standing up for nature, which is another aspect of governance which is impacting on everybody's quality of life, the effect that uh, developers and government decisions are having on the actual amenity, the actual environments that we're all living in in cities. And uh, there was about 70 people outside the Minister for Environment, Gabrielle Upton's uh, office in Sydney. And the reason for why they were there was because there's been lots of trees being mown down for West Connect Road uh, and for uh, uh, a whole range of trees were felled in uh, Anzac Parade for the light rail. And now there's a proposal to fell 60 hectares of the Royal National Park for a highway expansion. But I'll let you hear from the locals. People working around destructive laws at all levels of government is a courageous, new, systemic, um, viral, in a good way, thing that's happening around the world, even locally here in Wallara. So there, there really is hope. If we can't get them through the law, we will work around them. 
The government's high-handed and careless approach to our remaining scarce green resource is, is absolutely mind-blowing. For me, uh, I, I, it's most symbolised almost daily by the loss of those beautiful home oaks along Allison Road, which we all grieve so much every day. And the, two, and the two trees that are at the corner of Darley and Allison. Now, the reason they're symbolic is because sometimes the government takes away what we love through a, a, quickly and brutally under the, under the banner of, of a law. Other times, it's something that's eroded. I'd like to, uh, I'd like to introduce now our very first speaker, uh, the Greens MP, spokesman for planning. He's got an incredible brain and he's got a massive heart. Please give a huge round of applause for David Shubrick. I too would like to acknowledge we're meeting today on the land of the Gadigal people. Pay my respects to their elders past and present. Couldn't we learn a lot from our first peoples about how to protect nature? And don't we have an obligation to not only learn from them, but to empower them to stand with us and protect our nature through a treaty, through a treaty, absolutely. Now it's wonderful to be out the front of my local member, Gabrielle Upton's office. Good on Gabrielle, I didn't vote for Gabrielle, if, if, you're, um, if you're wondering. But we're also in Wallara, and Wallara Council is doing what all brave, brave people, brave organisations should do. When they see a wrong, they challenge it and they don't stop fighting till they win. They're in the High Court, and when it comes to protecting nature, let's take the lead from Wallara Council, and we won't stop fighting till we win. Full stop, full stop. Now, Gabrielle Upton is meant to be the Minister for the Environment, and there have been a number of coalition ministers for the environment. It's kind of like a non sequitur, really. Um, it, it's, the, it's the post that ministers are given either just before they get thrown out of Cabinet, or in order to do a job on the environment so they can see if they're trustworthy for advancement. That is what happens with the coalition and, and the environment portfolios. And Gabrielle Upton has shown she has no courage to stand up for nature, and she's actually betraying the environment as minister. Now, the as we meet here today, submissions are still open on the government's proposal to basically allow developers to price nature, to see critically endangered habitat and not protect it, but get their own paid consultant to price it, and then they can clear fell it and put a little bit of money in a bank account controlled by the government. They are literally going to buy our precious nature, bulldoze it and cover it in concrete and apartments. We cannot let that happen. We cannot let that happen. And it's not just big developments that are going to be at issue here. The government also wants to water down all of our tree protection orders. You know when you travel around somewhere like Wallara or those northern suburbs of Sydney and you see local communities that have stood up for generations to protect their trees. You know those streets, tree-lined streets, blocks full of gum trees, beautiful fig trees, the things that make Sydney beautiful and precious and special. Well, that's because generations of local residents have forced their councils to listen to them and protect their trees. But this government wants to downgrade that protection. Take the tree protection order protection from being in a local environment plan where it has the force of law and push it all down into subsidiary documents called development control plans. They want to degrade 
further downgrade our protections for our trees in single houses and bush blocks. It's an attack on multiple levels. So I would urge you to put a submission in the Nature Conservation Council, and hands up for the Nation Con yes. Nature Conservation Council. And all of the organisations from Safe Sydney Trees and all those organisations that have come together today. But the Nature Conservation Council has a submission guide on this proposal. And I'd urge you as soon as you can, log on, download the submission guide and make your own submission about protecting our trees. Yes. And, and I couldn't, I could not fail to mention today, if you wanted a, the em emblematic statement from this government about its attitude to nature and trees, I'm sure all of us were horrified when we opened the Herald yesterday or looked online yesterday and saw their proposal to take 60 hectares of our oldest national park to put a motorway on it. To put a motorway on it. Well, not only is it shameful, the laws that they're proposing through this process will allow them to price those 60 hectares, to not have to protect them, to put a dollar value on them, bulldoze them, and then business as usual for developers in New South Wales. We will not let this happen. We will throw any government out on its ear who thinks they can price and sell and destroy our nature without listening to us. We're in it for the long run. We will save Sydney. We'll keep our trees. We will stand up for nature and we'll do it together. Thank you very much. Conservation Council. She's an environmental advocate with over 14 years experience in grassroots organising campaign, <laughs> campaign strategy, media relations, policy and lobbying. We're really lucky to benefit from Kate's cutting edge insights today. Much better, excellent. Like I said, I'm really accused of being quiet, so I'll give it my all this morning. Um, so thank you so much for coming out. I am here because I am an eternal optimist, which you have to be in this line of work. And I am here because we are standing in front of Gabrielle Upton's office, the fourth environment minister that we have seen in four years under this coalition government. But I'm eternally optimistic that this government will see the error of their ways and the huge problems that we have with the land clearing legislation. And I am here to call on Gabrielle Upton to ensure that she heeds the will of the local residents and the thousands of people around New South Wales calling on her to see reason and to stop the incredible destruction that we will see under the new so-called Biodiversity Conservation Act. Absolutely, and all of you I'm sure have been with us for months and years calling on this government saying we love nature in New South Wales, the last thing we need is to return to broad scale land clearing. I'm just going to paint a bit of a picture as to what this piece of legislation will mean statewide and then bring it close to home here in Sydney for what it's going to mean for our trees everywhere. This legislation is so poorly crafted, it was pushed through by the National Party and we know because 650 farmers before this legislation was passed stood up and signed a statement to the New South Wales government saying do not pass this legislation that will return us to broad scale land clearing. There are better, more sustainable ways to farm. We have soil erosion, we have water degradation, and we have a thousand 
threatened species on the threatened species list here in New South Wales. The last thing we need is to be destroying more habitat. We need to be replanting our state. And that is what this legislation should be doing. Now, the thing I really want to discuss today, because I'm really calling on all of you, this is our last chance to try to get saving protections in what is a deeply flawed bill. And one of the key things that we need to stop is the horrible offsets policy. I know that sounds really boring, and whatever you might think about offsets, the piece of legislation that has passed New South Wales makes a mockery of the idea of allowing a developer or agribusiness to destroy critical habitat in one place. They are supposed to protect it in perpetuity yes. elsewhere. Yes. But instead, that, that would be best case scenario in an offsets policy. Instead, this government is saying that instead of actually finding and protecting similar habitat, like-for-like -like habitat that is so critical for our threatened species and for our watercourses and our topsoil, instead what they're saying is every business and developers can simply pay money into a fund and clear at will. Are we going to stand for that? No! I didn't think so. Michael Daly is Labour member for Maroubra. He's Shadow Minister for Planning and Infrastructure, and he's also the Deputy Leader of the Opposition. With a huge track record fighting for his community, and with four children of his own, Michael has his eye firmly on creating a great city for future generations. One that has heart and soul through the preservation of nature. With 12 and a half years as a parliamentarian, as well as a huge background, in law and commerce, I'm thrilled to ask you to put your hands together in welcoming Michael to us this morning. Well, thank you very much, Annie. It's great to be here. I, uh, I see my friends here from the Malabar headland for election. I got elected to Ramat Council in 1995. I've been in public life for over 20 years. And our first big environmental battle in my electorate, in my time in public life, was to protect the Malabar headland. We won that fight, but it took us 20 years. So I, so I love this sign here. I'll have it, thanks. Never give up, never give up, never give up. Like, like Brent Smolsky, we are all eternal optimists. But if you take your eye off the ball with this Liberal government that we have in New South Wales, a government that puts personal enrichment ahead of the interests of communities, they will bully us and they will bulldoze us. We've seen what they've done on Anzac Parade. We've seen what they've done to communities on the West Connects, turning Walleye Creek into a batching plant. We've seen what they want to do now, scouring 60 hectares of Australia's first national park down at the Royal National Park. We've seen what they've done all over New South Wales when it comes to the environment. Jeff Angel put it really well in January last year when he says... This government has declared war on trees in New South Wales and there is no sign that it's going to abate. It's not abating, it's getting worse. And these laws put through the Parliament last year were a declaration of war on trees in New South Wales. Good laws, the best laws are about balance. They're about enterprise, they're evidence-based and they're honest at their heart. I led for the opposition in the, in the Legislative Assembly when this 
legislation came to the New South Wales Parliament, my great friend, our great friend, Penny Sharp, led the charge in the Upper House. And I heard National Party after National Party member come in and vomit diatribe when they were talking in favour of this legislation, spewing vile at people like us that they term the latte sippers of society. Not one piece of evidence was put forward. And Kate is right. The farmers did not ask for this. This was the National Party, the Coalition's attempt to bully themselves again on New South Wales and to get rid of Bob Carr's groundbreaking legislation that's protected trees from broad-scale land clearing in New South Wales for 20 years. If you have a look at the government's own State of the Environment report in 2015, it identifies broad-scale land clearing as the greatest danger to the environment from the top to the bottom of New South Wales. This government's response is to introduce legislation to make it easier for broad-scale land clearing. That is a shame, that is a disgrace, and that is why we will go to war with them. And David, David is right. If they take bulldozers down to the National Park, I promise you I'll lie in front of them with you. And I promise you one other thing. When Labor is elected in March 2019, we will work with our friends in other parties, we will work with the Greens, and we will scrap these bad laws. Let's not give up. Let's keep up the fight. The environment is counting on us. And, and you know what? We'll be there until the end. Thank you very much. locally, where many people around the world are becoming increasingly cynical about the political system and politicians. I would suggest to you that it's not about turning on or off to politics and politicians, it's actually about choosing our politicians wisely. And the ones that do want to stand up for the right things, we need to support them. We need to support them in every way we can, and we need to send them some bottles of vitamin B to keep them going. Okay? So thank you, thank you David and thank you Michael. We know, we know who you are. What, what, uh, what, I, what I also want to just briefly touch on is about what we can do, and I would say to you that the whole thing, as you know, is about being active and not passive. And active is not actually just about actions, it's about a state of mind. So whether you stand for office yourself, you lead or participate in a community group, or you support one who does, never forget that your actions, however small, are important. Your words are important, and your thoughts are important. Together, we can create the change that we all desire. A seasoned activist said last week on air that their organization's mantra is, with patience and persistence, we will win. I don't know about the patience part, but I think what he means is that we focus not so much just on the next immediate action, but on the long game, the longer game. The reason that's so important is that in any journey, there's going to be wins and losses. Put into the context of the longer game, the wins will be sweeter and the disappointments will fade by comparison. I have learned, said a marathon runner, that finishing a marathon is a state of mind, a state of mind that says anything is possible. And I'd like to wrap up by saying at times like this, we tend to look for heroes. So I'd like to give you a, a, a quick tool that you can use at any time. If you want to look to see who the hero is, or the heroes are in this crowd today, the only tool that you need is a mirror. Okay? The only tool that you need is a mirror. You are Erin Brockovich. You are 
the Leo DiCaprio saving the animals. You are Bob Brown. You are you. Thank you very much. Buy our nature. Australian Unemployed Workers' Union invites you all to a rousing Jam for Jobs and Justice concert on Sunday, July 30, featuring the Horn Stars, Reds Under the Bed and Moreland City Marching Band at the Bella Union Bar, Trades Hall, Carlton, from 2 to 5pm. For tickets, phone 9650 or book online at bellaunion.com.au. $15 full, $10 concession. Raffles and prizes are part of the deal. For more info, contact unemployedworkersunion.com. Help protect the rights and dignity of unemployed workers and pensioners. Get along to Jobs and Justice. Bella Union, Sunday, July 30. Hi, I'm Aaron Pedersen, and you're listening to 3CR. Ah, uh, you are listening to 3CR, and uh, that was uh, an inspiring little rally that they had in Sydney uh, around uh, defending nature. The One of the reasons why it's so important to hear voices from other places is that you realise many of the voices are being raised in the same way, and they're calling for the same message, which is that personal power standing up uh, is... It's not an option these days. People have to stand up and they have to fight back. And uh, Don uh, Sutherland's on the line. G'day, Don. How are you? Hello, Annie, and hello to all your listeners. Yes, and uh, you went to an event this week that was all about standing up and uh, being counted in the industrial arena. Well, that's true. Uh, Earlier this week, uh, over two and a half days, the Australian Council of Trade Unions held its, um, I think it's every two or three years, its organising conference, which this year was called the Next Gen Conference, subtitled Same Fight, New Moves. Um, And it was indeed a very important and at times inspiring conference, and most of all, I think, inspiring in its major outcome. Um, perhaps before we go to that, um, your listeners might be interested in just a little bit of uh, background because I think this important event that is held from time to time uh, is not widely uh, known about throughout uh, amongst working people. Yeah, because it's, um, a, it's a congregation of a whole lot of union delegates, isn't it? Yes, well, the, de- the delegations... Uh, uh, are not normally dominated by rank-and-file delegates and members, but uh, although there was a reasonable proportion uh, of those there, this is not a decision-making conference like the ACTU Congress is that uh, determines policy in which delegations are usually uh, elected and include significant numbers of rank-and-file representatives. This is more an opportunity uh, and a planned opportunity for uh, union organisers, activists and delegates and union leaders, uh, the elected leaders, to exchange experiences and more formal information about the state of play in our unions and our workplaces, uh, including reports and stories on successes and failures in organising and so on. And this year... Um, the overarching theme, uh, as I said, same fight, new moves, 
it was in a sense a reference to a longer term project uh, started in the ACTU a year or so ago before Sally McManus came along that um, was wanting to focus on how to fundamentally reverse the loss of power for Australian workers. Well, it's interesting you should say, uh, Don, because I went to the previous ACTU conference and I saw them decide that that the big issue then was reclaiming the notion that the Australian Council of Trade Unions, the ACTU, was actually a fighting force, that it was a, a campaigning organisation, not just, you know, sometimes picking up the mantle, uh, you know, the baton and then putting it down again, that it had to, in a Trotskyist form, permanent revolution concept, that it had to be a continual campaigner for, for well, workers' rights. Well, I think some of the participants would die would die on their feet if they heard a reference to their activity being Trotskyist-like. But oh, I'm sure they would. <laughs> <laughs> But what is, well, I think uh, that's, a, that's an interesting uh, observation on your part because I think this conference did indeed go the next step and has laid good foundations for a massive uh, campaign to uh, a, explore how the rules that we currently are forced to uh, work and exist under are broken and move from that into a campaign in favour of big changes to those rules in, in favour of working people. Now, so Sally, we no, well, S- Sally McManus is the new secretary of the uh, ACTU and she has got a long history of being a campaigner, a successful campaigner. So this is almost like a, a conference around a campaign, isn't it? Yes, um, it is. It's, a, it's one that is about many campaigns, but feeding uh, those many campaigns into a common theme around changing uh, the rules that we are forced uh, unfairly to uh, work and negotiate and organise under. Um, there were 1,100-odd uh, 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 participants there. Uh, as I said, mainly um, full-time officials, but a good a good. Um, some good contributions and participation from some delegations that included rank-and-file workers. There were, on top of, uh, underneath that overarching theme of um, same fight, new moves, um, change the rules, uh, there were uh, 11 topic streams around things like organising and growth, changing the laws for more workers' power, uh, economic justice, work, workplace health and safety and future work and others. There were international guests, including a sizable delegation from our New Zealand brothers and sisters uh, who made significant contributions in various plenary and workshop sessions. Uh, there were, I think, five uh, plenary sessions and after each one, there were workshops, and so roughly speaking, about 100 people in each workshop on average, sometimes a bit more, sometimes a bit less, depending on the topic. And so a terrific hubbub of, uh, of discussion and analysis and a little bit of debate. Uh, there were some topics that I think were not, I did not see being debated very thoroughly. So what? The main it, 
Yeah. Um, but what? Which sort of debates were you thinking you'd prefer, you'd have liked to have seen it been a little bit more uh, developed? Well, I think um, it, it, two things that spring to mind, and this remember that I am one person reporting to people, and I could only go to uh, one workshop. Uh, as well as the plenaries, what, so there are. T- Don, you couldn't, you couldn't split your, teaching. you couldn't split yourself up. No, 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 I haven't worked that out yet. <laughs> um, but I did talk to people who went to other workshops, so I've got a bit of a sense. But that's always somewhat subjective and uh, as helpful as it can be. Um, the, I think the two areas that require, I want to come back to the main outcome, which is oh, okay, most, all right. So sorry, I'm the, converting. The two, the two things that are most that I think are worth sort of digging into deeper is that I think that there is this business about we have to be new, we have to be innovative, is in itself correct. But there are some ways in which that whole discussion neglects the continuities. So, uh, for example, there are, on innovation, there are dozens of, uh, examples out of the Australian labour movement's own history of innovation and breakthrough in the class struggle. And these were not explored adequately. There was a lot of focus on current efforts. Uh, and secondly, innovate the, the rationale for innovation, it was a funny contradiction. In one session, I heard a very good example of an innovation to make it easier for people to join unions and transfer their membership when they move from job to job. It was a terrific one involving the use of digital technologies and so on that uh, workers these days are very familiar with. It was a terrific example, but the rationale for it was, was all based upon management theory from a bloke called Peter Drucker, who was an American managerialist academic, very, uh, I think he might have died by now, but, um, and, there, and it was captured in a phrase called uh, culture eats strategy for breakfast every day. Hmm. Now, that rationale for innovation is a nonsense and is very dangerous for uh, unions because we absolutely need strategy. Well, it's funny, so you know, you know, no, but it's funny that you should say that because uh, one of the things I, I mean, you didn't hear probably the uh, thing I played just before, but the, they were standing out in the street try, defending nature in Sydney, and one of the things that uh, seems quite rational and reasonable to do is the uh, quantifying and uh, putting a dollar value on nature, which someone has recently done for the. Uh, Barrier Reef, right, said yeah. that it's worth this amount of money. But in actual fact, it's, it's worth what they're doing is framing everything in that language, when in actual fact the Barrier Reef is a lot more than that, and it's sort of corralling people into a dead end. And that happens yeah. a little bit, doesn't it, in, in uh, industrial relations as well. But, yes, and that's very true. And I think the interesting thing, one of the interesting features and positive features of this conference is that it is very much uh, a launching pad to encourage people to break out of the current uh, numbness, the current uh, lack of direction. And uh, Sally and other 
uh, other leaders, including Jed Carney, the president of the ACT, I think are doing a good job in pushing that forward. Um, the, so what we, what we see in this conference is that it is the first of co- uh, cohesive launch of a cohesive union movement campaign to reverse the current drive for inequality in our society. And it's doing that by saying uh, the current rules that govern workplace relations and industrial relations are a big cause of inequality and that they're broken for working people and that therefore we need new democratic workplace and industrial rules to replace the broken ones. Uh, And that that can only be achieved through a massive workers' campaign. Oh, uh, uh, Don, I'll just remind the listeners that we're talking to Don Sutherland. He's been to the Next Generation, uh, Next Gen 2017 ACTU conference. And I was going to uh, say that uh, there were some nuts and bolts, uh, real hands-on advice about this uh, given out by Sally McManus. I listened to the uh, final plenary session that you sent down. And uh, it was they, they were very clear about what they are asking unionists to do to be part of this new campaign. Uh, yes. Now, um, what you're talking about there in the final final plenary session, Sally. Oh, sorry, in the first plenary session, uh, Sally introduced everyone to the ACTU campaign kit, change the rules, and. Um, she spoke very briefly about it, but she insisted, and I thought she was good to do this, she insisted that people read it over the next couple of days and not just leave it lying around or left in their uh, their hotel room if they were visiting from the other state. And then in the final session, as you say, she took people through its rationale and its major points of content. And so the kit includes uh, a number of fact sheets um, uh, ranging from the the general theme of inequality itself, uh, tax, industrial action, wage theft and workers' rights, all those sorts of things, enterprise bargaining, industrial action. Um, And then it goes on to have a draft stump speech that uh, activists at deeper levels of the movement can... Uh, use as a framework for talking to broader numbers of people in their own workplace and in communities and so on. And then, interestingly, it includes a uh, uh, what is called a workers' stories form. Now, this is an interesting feature of the campaign at this stage. I think very much influenced by union feminists or feminist unionists or both. Uh, there was a, there is a big emphasis on building this campaign from uh, by getting workers to tell their stories of their own experiences of exploitation and oppression by their employers or by the government or whoever. Basically, and- making it clear how government legislation and uh, corporate greed affects a real person. Exactly, That's, you've said it very well. You've said it very well. So this little kit, I think, is... I haven't been able to find it, but someone, uh, a friend of mine, has told me that it is now available uh, online. 
I can't give it any advice. It'll be at the ACTU website somewhere, or maybe there's a link at the ACTU Facebook page. Yep, okay. Uh, so this, in a sense, what was going on here was this event became the first launch of this campaign. Uh, Sally's already been taking it to the local level as she travels around the country, as have some other union leaders, uh, and as well as to picket lines and so on. Her travel itinerary is quite incredible. She's working incredibly hard, connecting directly to workers who are in struggles, and uh, I'm sure she would welcome anyone else who gets into a struggle with her employer at some stage. I think she'd be happy to try and be there, but how she can do it, go to war with them, is, a, is another question altogether. Uh, the, uh, her opening speech basically said that the outcome of a successful campaign would be what she called balanced power. Ah, interesting. Now, yeah. I think that's something that needs a lot of discussion. What will be the balance? But in, in a way... The answer to that is going to determine by how strong the campaign is. The stronger it is, the more power we can win back. Uh, the more modest it is, the more modest the gains that we'll make. And, uh, but I think the exciting thing is how it can be built from below. Obviously, what needs to happen is a lot more launches at the local and regional level and state level. And, no one listening who is involved at deeper levels of the workers' movement, of the union movement, should hold back, get to grips with the issues and get involved in organising a local launch of this campaign. I think that would be... I'm certain that would be welcomed by the national strategists like Sally McManus and the team around her. In fact, one of the messages that she seemed to be sending is that it's, just, it's not just her. And this tendency to sort of put our leaders on a pedestal and rely on them to do most of the work has got to be resisted and replaced by all of us pitching in. Well, that's right. And and actually, that's funny. That harkens back to the previous uh, thing. She said, the woman said, the only tool, the only leader you need, the only tool you need is a mirror to look at yourself. You are the people. Yep. Stand I up. Heard that. It, yeah, I heard, that bit. I heard that bit, and that's spot on. It's just that spot on, exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Sally McManus is uh, actually a bad action, and I was wondering. I know that I got some reports that uh, people said it was actually inspiring, and I said, you know, that's the sort of term that, you know, you can bandy around. But obviously, people did leave the uh, fired up. But did some people who are a bit of a sleep warmers feel a little bit in- uncomfortable? Well, I think. <laughs> I haven't thought of that expression, but I think it's true that there is, uh, there is, there are signs of a sort of a minority right-wing, what I would call old-fashioned right-wing unionism approach to some of the issues. So, for example, I went to um, three workshops that were specifically about task force reports in regards to what's wrong with the Fair Work Act as it is now and therefore what, what should be the big changes. And in one of the discussions, I was struck by uh, what I... The reason why I call it old, old right-wing unionism 
is that some people are still stuck in arbitrationism in which industrial lawyers, industrial advocates uh, and the Commission are the major players in dealing with disputes and problems that workers encounter, not organised workers. Things are done for the workers, not by the workers. Right, yep. So that's still there, but it's not the predominant it's it's a sort of it's sort of sitting there in the background and of course that is what right right wing Labour Party forces connect to when they talk about what's possible in changing the Fair Work Act and what isn't. So that that was very interesting, but overall I think the workshops were quite telling. Uh, the task force on what the a new uh, uh, Fair Work Act might look like has not finished its work, but gave quite an interesting uh, and uh, report, and that was based on what they said was a a blue sky approach, and it was quite comprehensive. And the details perhaps should be left to another session. Now I know I I've heard the term blue sky approach. What does it mean? Well, it means that they said, well, if, if we could start all over again, and we wanted to aim for something that was ideal or very close to it, what would the Fair Work Act look like from a worker's point of view? Right, yeah. Okay. Uh, and so... And uh, did you have any bones to pick with uh, some of the analysis that they had? Because I know you've thought about this a lot. Yes. Uh, I think... Um, uh, uh, I thought it was, on the whole, really quite a good... Quite good progress has been made. Uh, the, the the issue that I have with it at this stage, and they're not they're not closed to this idea. I raised it with them, and uh, the answer was quite interesting. They're not closed to the idea, and that is the the big change that one of the big changes that's needed is that workers need to have uh, rights that enable them to deal with the real fundamental power of employers, and that fundamental power is not the right to hire and fire and things of that nature, but in fact is their power to go on strike with their capital. In other words, their their power to make the big decisions on how much of the surplus produced by workers will be invested, where how much will be taken as personal wealth, if investment where will it be invested? Or should it be hoarded somewhere in a tax haven? Or should it be moved to another country? So wealth produced here by Australian workers in the current system, the core of the employer's power is their control of capital, to go on strike with it. Yeah, well, that's and what... The, that, and that is actually a technique that's being used quite blatantly lately. Absolutely, for, for, for a long, long time. And I think there are things that can be done with a new act that would provide workers with greater capacity to struggle against that. Uh, well, that's and, interesting. Uh, uh, but that might... Uh, the, 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 the European... Everyone then, when that gets discussed, everyone jumps to the European Works Council system. Well, I don't think that's the Australian way. We need to develop... Can you tell me what that means, what the the European Work Council system is? Oh, well, under under law, uh, 
uh, every every major, I think, employers above a certain size, I think, might vary from one country to another. Uh, but they're required, they're mandated and required to uh, enable um, uh, all of the workers in the company to elect representatives to be on a council that has rights to argue about the investment decision making at the company. Oh wow, good day. Yep. Now it's not as it, it sounds better than it is. It, <laughs> yes. I know from talking to people who've been in the thick of it, for example, in Caterpillar, just what opportunities there are with that, but also the problems and limitations on it as well. I think there's an Australian way that is um, arguably better than that, uh, and we could discuss that. Uh, yeah, okay, yeah. Very yeah. interesting. Uh, yeah. So you've um, had a good time. Yes, and I think um, I think there is there was an elephant in the room. Um, I want to make this point as well. Uh, I And once again, I'm constrained because I wasn't, you know, I missed 10 workshops out of 11. Yeah. I, I can only go to one workshop. I know, it's really difficult, isn't it? Yeah. Now, I'm talking about now the workshops, the plenaries, and the informal discussions now. I didn't see I did not see or participate in one discussion in which the participants were comfortable discussing the ALP's neoliberalism. Uh, yes. What the ALP did with the Fair Work Act in two thousand and seven, eight and nine. Uh, well put was, a spear in the heart of the workers, that's what they did. Well, it wasn't just the ALP. Um, it, the, the Act is the product of tripartite negotiations. Between, That's right. Mm. Yeah, but that was created in Gillard's strategy, and the problems we have now in the Fair Work Act were are problems produced by the ALP's control of those negotiations at that time. Now that has big implications for the ongoing development of the strategy in this campaign. Yeah, it does. How do we, de- how do we deal with the prospect of uh, pressure from an ALP striving for election to adopt a very minimalist approach to change? Now, I think that's all going to evolve. I'm not terribly fussed that it is was a bit of an elephant in the room in my observation. I have to say, but, Don, this is a perfect time to finish because we've got to. Um, yes. I'll say one more thing to finish. Yeah, okay, yeah. Please, everyone, no cynicism. <laughs> this is potentially really exciting. We're in the early stages of the campaign and it is needed and it's still being formed. Get involved. If you haven't done so already, join your union. <laughs> Thanks very much, Don. Hi, I'm... No, I didn't do testing. Oh, okay. Testing, testing. <laughs> okay. Hi, I'm Susanna Espy. And I'm Ida. And you're listening to 3C... The Australian Unemployed Workers' Union invites you all to a rousing Jam for Jobs and Justice concert on Sunday, July 30, featuring the Horn Stars, Reds Under the Bed and Moreland City Marching Band at the Bella Union Bar, Trades Hall, Carlton, from 2 to 5pm. For tickets, phone 9650 or book online at bellaunion.com.au. $15 full, $10 concession. Raffles and prizes are part of the deal. For more info, contact unemployedworkersunion.com. 
help protect the rights and dignity of unemployed workers and pensioners. Get along to Jobs and Justice. Bella Union, Sunday, July 30. Bricky team listener when I may as well retire we can't compete when former big supremo tiny a bit more for the bosses accused train killer merchandise minister Christopher Payne in the of disloyalty tiny and I'm not sure we need to comment what what can satire add sounds like same-sex divorce while three other ministers apologised to the Supreme Court bench here in Victoria for accusing it of being a front for some world communist conspiracy, a hotbed of leftist ideology, and I hope no one suggests. After their defiance a few days earlier, their apology was based more on avoiding being charged with an offence, ruling them ineligible to keep their bums on the plush seats, than genuine contrition. Grovelingly appealing, they had made uninformed comments. But if uninformed comments warranted an apology every time, politicians generally would spend most of their lives apologising. We're all stunned when they say something vaguely approaching an informed comment. And while the government kept curling itself into an uninformed anal ball over energy prices and energy sources, with the one certainty the problem must be addressed without using one less fossil, the Business Profits Council proffered some advice. Well, more so delivered its orders, ordering the government to leave the energy crisis to the market. We got you into it. We created the energy crisis and we'll get you out of it, it promised. Okay, okay, bet you picked what was wrong with that, listener, because the private sector knows that any economic crisis is 100% down to the public sector, and only it, the private sector, can get us out of the mess. Via that solution to all problems, the market. Ironic, isn't it? The one market we do enjoy at the top of Elizabeth Street, the same forces want to destroy in the name of progress, high-rise towers, cranes on the skyline, development for the not-so-common good. On fossils, sometimes headlines can be misleading. Take, Adani the Reef Coal Mine clears native title hurdle. Ah, the indigenous groups have approved it, we assume. Well, no, no. Attorney General George Brandy's brain has changed the Native Title Act to remove those Indigenous people's rights to stop the mine, stop all those jobs and investment. Well, investment with our money, but let's ignore that report telling us the reef and associated jobs and tourism are worth billions more than a dining the reef could ever generate. Why, think of the millions of international tourists who'll flock to the wilds of Queensland to dive into the whopping great coal dust mist and marvel at its beauty. To add to the excitement, they can then follow the tourist trail along the private Adani the Reef publicly funded rail line all the way back to the coast where Adani the Reef tourist guides, at a most reasonable cost, can show them where the reef used to be. The consistency award of the week, always a tough one. Tiny's distress at someone being disloyal to the government is a serious contender, but right up there has to be US of the UN of the US of the world, big supremo Donald Trump or the poor, 
after months denying Russia had interfered in the US of election in support of Donald, this week attacked his predecessor, Barack, for change, 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 for doing nothing about Russia interfering in the elections in support of Donald. And as an aside, we can but imagine the shock the disgust the US of would feel at the thought of someone interfering in someone else's election. Uh, so Russia did interfere. That is fake news. Very bad. Very bad. So what did Barack Ford do nothing about? Russia interfering. Very bad. Very bad. So Barack Ford failed to do anything about something that didn't happen. It was the biggest do-nothing ever, ever. Bad, very bad. Then again, this junk mail landed in my letterbox, thanks to the no junk mail sign disintegrating, with AG hell for our customers telling me how I can save on my power bills by signing up with. With this slogan, keeping warm this winter shouldn't burn a hole in your pocket. Which is true, we agree with AG hell for it shouldn't, but... Thanks to AG Hell 4 and the other super-efficient private corporations down running what we used to own, it will. But then we have to concede in this case there's no inconsistency. Their only raison d'etre is to burn a hole in our pockets. And an item we're sure Donald would consider good, very good. At long last, the government is taking steps to end the thuggery, the illegality, the exploitation of poor, caring employers in the construction industry. Those poor, caring employer pillars of society who erect all those towers, those cranes amid the skyscrapers, build all that progress with a little help from the lazy, avaricious workers who do the actual work. But good news, the government is finally sick of all that illegality, like evil workers walking off the job just because another evil worker is killed or injured. No respect whatever for the law, crippling their poor, caring employer who always regrets killing and injuring workers. Caring employers aren't heartless money grabbers. Well, are just heartless money grabbers. Finally sick of, the government is passing legislation to make it easier to deregister evil trade unions. With no particular union in mind, of course. Lowering the bar with the key clause being if they are no longer serving the interests of their members showing just how balanced the government is, concerned that building workers' best interests be served. Now, we know they wouldn't use their new powers arbitrarily just because they hate evil unions because evil unions are evil, and there are plenty of safeguards like big supremo Malcolm Tunnerbull himself or the Minister for Caring Business Class Relations, Macadia Kosh the Workers, armed with her free kills the workers' respect for evil unions, or, say, George Brandy's brain must decide on behalf of building workers whether their evil union is serving their best interests and unions are in safe hands when Malcolm and Macadia and George and co can make decisions for them and we know the government wouldn't be introducing this law because it has a not so hidden agenda to wipe the evil construction union out good heavens no and anyway if the government does decide it's in the best interest of lazy avaricious workers to have their union wiped out, they would be in the safe hands of an administrator like, say, Jack Boots Commission Supremo Nigel Hodge kissed the bosses.
And if they are wiped out, they've only got themselves to blame for making lots and lots and lots of unreasonable demands, like wages or safety or that workers should be in the union or union officials should be allowed to talk to workers. The latter two we all know are illegal and the first two are mostly illegal, showing how the evil union bosses have no respect for the law. But if perhaps when the government decides the union is not acting in the best interests of its members, we'll know that must be correct because they'll just be observing the law. In the week that was sport, an international football, as in Soccer Federation Ethics Report, FIFA, the international body, and ethics could well be an oxymoron, but the report says True Blue Aussie made improper payments intended to influence votes when we bid for the World Cup, which, as we know, worked a treat for True Blue Aussie got exactly one vote, presumably our own. Money well spent. But we have been assured by then big soccer supremo Frank Lowy than Low, who must be a great man because he's right at the top of our filthy richest of the filthy rich, assured there was no risk to his own fortune as he pursued his little hobby. It was all part of the billions we extracted from the public purse. No harm done. And now the new big supremo, Frank's son. Maybe their soccer's version of the North Korean great and beloved brilliant Kim Il family. No one else good enough. Frank's son wants us to fork out trillions more from the public purse to bid for the Women's World Cup. It's money well spent. Well, your money well spent. <laughs> he laughed, displaying not only why he's also filthy rich, over and above being his father's son, which overwhelmingly has something to do with it, prime reason, but also a razor-sharp sense of humour. Because I can guarantee we've got at least one boat locked in. Finally, through all this, that levy on the banks, the South Troublewazi government so irresponsibly introduced in its budget. We mentioned last week the Troublewazi capitalist review said it for all of us. Economic vandalism. Well, the controversy rages, more editorials, the banks themselves predicting mass ruin if this attack is allowed to succeed. The federal government, which knows all about these things, announced the levy was more than likely a legal, sub-evil socialist plot by inference, unlike their levy. And the banks should challenge it in court, for which they don't need any encouragement. Why? They've already challenged it in the court of public opinion, running very, very, very expensive ads explaining how the levy will destroy all of us through economic terrorism. The poor banks look distressed. Someone has to pay for it. They were close to tears. Uh, but, but, but the South True Blue Aussie government said, you should pay. Uh, let me make that clearer. Someone else has to pay for it. Good morning. Here it is again, 3CR Community Radio, the Concrete Gang. We've got an annual pull-up down at the uh, on July the 10th on the RDO for construction workers down at the Palace Hotel, City Road, South Melbourne at 11am. $20 tickets at the door, which entitles you a great food there. The Palace put on a great food. Also bring some extra, extra lovely, a few extra chickens in your pocket for the raffle tickets. $10 raffle ticket gives you a chance to win a string bean. It's a $5,000 travel voucher and a $500 booze voucher up for grabs. And live music from the Jaded Cats. Yes, so be there or be square to uh, South Melbourne, July the 10th on the RDO, 11am, 
City Road, South Melbourne for the award-winning Concrete Gang. Hi, I'm Aaron Pedersen, and you're listening to 3CR. Yes, and you're on Solidarity Breakfast with Annie, and we've we've got a battle on the line. G'day, Peter. Have you got the phone on your ear right now? Uh, yes, yes. Yeah, good yep. on you, because it all went all bit haywire there. Um, now, right. Peter, we're talking to you because you've got a demonstration going on today at 12.30 at the uh, Wontana, yes. Wontana Caravan Park. Uh, can That's you, right, yeah. Yeah, can you tell us what's going on down there? Well, at 12 noon, we're, uh, 12 noon to 4.30, we're uh, going to have a peaceful protest. I'm um, not sure how many people will turn up, but uh, as you understand, that there's a lot of people here in the in the park that uh, are fairly elderly, and um, sometimes the energy level, uh, particularly now after a few months, is a little bit flat in regards to uh, how they're feeling each day is quite a a stressful time for for most of the people here and uh, so we've done a lot of talking over the last few months we've got people like liberals greens and uh, labor in the council and various people talking uh, but now it's starting to go around in circles and uh, Peter, before you go well, on, tell people, yeah, tell list, tell list, no, no, tell tell listeners what's happened. What happened on January this year? Uh, well, January, for example, uh, well, I'd say February we had a community meeting. Mm-hmm. You, but uh, you received a letter, didn't you? You were all evicted. Oh well, this was back in. Uh, we were evicted. We got the official closing letter about the uh, park was going to close about the second of December oh, right. last year. Yep. And uh, uh, in regards to our type of housing in the Tenancy Act, um, we uh, under the regulation. I think the owner has to give us twelve months' notice to to uh, to vacate. Uh, now, some people might think that's plenty of time, but we're talking about. People that have been here, I know I've I'm, I've been here 27 years, oh, goodness, and yes. there's a lot of lot of people. I, I came here when it was bush on one side, and 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 of course as people start to move in the area, uh, the land value goes up and so on. But um, a lot of people now, which have been here pretty much over 20 years, are suddenly facing losing their homes, and these homes are, are quite. Uh, they're very. If it, once you're inside, you could be anywhere. In in, uh, in regards to some people think that perhaps homes in caravan parks are all makeshift and so on, but most of the people here are, are, are very decent and they're living, uh, doing it quite hard, and they're they're in there because of affordability um, and the lifestyle is fantastic. The community lifestyle is. Is incredible, really. Because uh, you're quite close. You, you're a little town. Yeah, we're, we're, yes, that's right. The nature of the, the park is is uh, is just brings us closer. But at the same time, we don't uh, know everybody's business. But for example, my neighbours, we've got our mobile numbers. We take each other's bins out. We there's there's people to look out for each other when they're not home or away. You know that sort of thing. Yeah, well, um, what what's happened is that it's private land and it's been sold, hasn't it? That, that's right. Um, uh, we don't own the land, 
that we own the homes. And, and this is where it makes, uh, I suppose, uh, our situation unique um, in that you either have people owning the land in the home outside of, of residential parks or you have people renting that don't own anything. That's right. And, uh, and we own the house but not the land. And what's happened is since 1997 with the uh, Residential Tenancy Act, there's, uh, in regards to our situation, it hasn't been fixed. There's no uh, requirement by the owner, the new owner, when they take over the um, of, of the park, when they buy a, a residential park that is privately owned, they're not required by law to compensate the people that own homes, where in New South Wales it does, and Queensland, so uh, and perhaps other states as well. Uh, but Victoria doesn't have that there. I think around about 2009 or 2010, around about that time, they had a, another review. It still wasn't fixed. And uh, because of the housing crisis, uh, look, 25 years ago, we... Um, could have uh, perhaps moved our dwellings somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, if, if if this same situation occurred, there would have been room in other parks. But uh, with the housing crisis, there's very little room, and the government has pretty much um, uh, this uh, this whole situation is pretty much gone unnoticed. And uh, suddenly, there's this crisis. And uh, we're, we're one of the bigger parks, but there's over six other uh, caravan parks also affected by similar, slight different situations, but similar um, results where people are being, uh, or people face losing their homes. That's yeah. right. And, and like that's a, it's 189 people, am I correct, in your park? Yeah, there's about 189. Look, there's... 200 at any given night, you could mm. say. In and are you talking group, about households tourists. or people? No, there's about, in, in total, the sort of the figures would be there's probably about 40 or 50 uh, people renting um, uh, cabins here, and they're people that are naturally got a need. Some of them have slept in cars and so on before, and just because they've had that background... Uh, some people have come from, you could say, normal suburban lives and yep. things go wrong, whether yep. it be a, a marriage breakup or a job loss. So, um, uh, And there's other people, for example, that own homes and, and some live in caravan annex type uh, homes and some live in, um, this is like solid. Yeah, more annex, substantial, uh, trailer type Substantial, part. yeah. That's right. Uh, a bit like um, they've made themselves quite secure and yeah and they've settled quite, in <laughs> yeah settled in and they're very comfortable and yeah. i tell you what you and know, have gardens it, around them and yeah yeah and 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 they've had people in the houses as such oh there's uh they're well established in gardens and all the the latest uh, in terms of furniture and decor inside and people have made themselves very um secure and so on and it, it it was a gated community and uh the security and the the general lifestyle was uh, people 
lot of people here just saw them their their lives being lived out there. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and when you, and and you've actually said that. I mean, it, it, like we're talking of potential homelessness here, aren't we? Because yes, people. Are, I mean, yes. because people own some, their property. You know, that, their houses, but because they're so substantial, they mm. can't actually move them. That that's right, uh, and a lot of them uh, physically too, because they've got older since they've moved in, uh, mm. like over 20 years ago. Some of them are, you know, the, the, some of the stories here... They're the, quite elderly. The, what you're saying is they're oh, elderly. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. And there are uh, sort of younger, when I say younger, there's, um, they're still working age. And mm. there's, there's, I think there's only one teenager living here, um, so to speak, but there's, there's not children as such. Um, we've got about 80% or more elderly, you know, and yeah. uh, we've got um, people that, for example, because of all of this uh, that's happened, they would have lived quite comfortably and, and until, until the end of their lives and now, in the last, say, five years or ten years, you could say, of their life, um, they're having to either go into uh, care in some shape or form through housing um, providers uh, uh, like charitable organisations or people that have set up agencies to set up to help. I have to say that uh, from the government's point of view, they have got about five or six agencies helping in regards to Villa Maria, who's to do with aged care, and, and then we've got uh, Department of Health and Human Services helping people in into government homes, and we've got uh, Uniting Care um, uh, helping people into homes, uh, which are government. Now, what I want to say about that is that we do appreciate their help uh, tremendously, um, but the government particularly, and the council, and as uh, uh, more or less saying whenever they're interviewed, they're, they always say, look, we've got agencies helping, we've got people um, attending to their needs and getting people into housing, but no one, even government, right up till we got a letter from our local Labor government minister saying, uh, "Look, we're we're helping, and you won't be getting compensation, and we're helping with the agencies, but they're not actually mentioning the fact that people are going to lose their homes." That's right. You, uh, what they're doing is they're dis- you're disempowered. And uh, right. yeah, and you're financially bereft, uh, yes. and for some reason or other, and words are cheap. They save this to yes, people who right. are homeless, uh, who mm. were evict- try- they were trying to evict them from the city, and they say, "Oh yes, yeah. but they've got places to go and all the rest of it." But I, mm. I say to them, "Prove it," because when yeah, you talk yeah. to them, they say, "Oh, we get three days at a hotel, mm. and we don't know where yeah. we're going yeah. next." Mm, yeah, yeah, uh, that's right. And so we're saying to government, look, here we have a situation where people have homes, um, and if you don't do something about the law that fixes this problem, that uh, that if it, we're looking at about three sorts of uh, things in our uh, petitions uh, in regards to getting compensation. Some people might think we're asking for a handout, but we're in a situation where We've got homes, and there is a, a loophole in the law, and we're just saying, look, um, uh, to tell you, Peter, Peter, I don't yeah, think sorry. our listeners think you're going for a handout. 
Really, oh, I, I really think that you don't have to apologise here. I oh, think well, that, like you. there's a couple of things here that you you reckon really need to be fixed up. So you tell us what you think should happen. Yeah, well, uh, we in our petition we're asking the government to change the Victorian Residential Tenancy Act to, to protect residents. Um, in we like to say residential tourist parks because the word caravan sometimes has a, a stigma with some people, but. Mm. Um, I like the word caravan myself. On my performing arts background, I've, I've travelled in caravans, lived in caravans, and I think it's a fantastic lifestyle. But uh, we're looking at residential tenancy uh, act to to fix this, uh, to have a clause that, that says you know the owners, when buying a park, need need to compensate the homeowners because uh, this fellow who's Developing the park is—we're talking, you know, 200 million uh, sort of project, and uh, and out of that he'll he'll definitely sort of be having 70 or 80 million probably left over. Now, uh, we uh, who are going to lose our homes will get nothing. Like I said, we've been completely ignored by uh, by the the previous owners, the the new owner. The government and the council, in regards to those sorts of things, but we're also asking. We recognise the, the need for residential tourist parks to, um, uh, you know, to that the, they've got a, a, an integral role in regards to affordability. Um, we believe that if parks were protected from redevelopment, uh, they act as a as a very um, effective safety net for people that. Whose lives can suddenly go haywire with a loss of a job or a loved one or or marriage breakup, and suddenly they're faced with paying this huge mortgage, and and they can't sort of sustain that lifestyle anymore, and and they need uh, residential parks to 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 sort of um, uh, sort of to cover that area uh, so that they don't fall through further in the cracks and so on. So, so you're going to have uh, tell people, Peter, about your demonstration today. Yeah, yeah. Well, we tried to get some speakers uh, from the various government parties and so on, and and, and to be fair to them, uh, no surprise, surprise. None of them put their hand up. Is that's what you're really going to say? Well, well, we've. The Greens, um, Samantha Dunn, I have to say, has been tremendous, uh, and she is stuck at meetings in the city and can't make it. But she's given us uh, something to read out. Yep. You know, uh, the Liberals have apologised. Um, um, they've been helpful, you could say, and uh, in the past, and uh, they, they, you know, Nick Wakeling is. Um, uh, held up due to some other things happening in Knox. Um, the Labor government uh, in the early days of this venture have been helpful. They even wrote a letter to the owner trying to get him to show goodwill. Uh, but but now, as soon as we started, okay, pointing uh, the owner, uh, by the way, has not budged one iota um, through all of our campaign campaign. Uh, he hasn't complied to any of the council's wishes um, or government's. Uh, he's um, completely... He doesn't answer any media, all of that. Uh, so the government... I did. We did eventually say to the government uh, through our local minister, um, look, 
you've heard nothing from the owner uh, at all, and that's to be expected because he's not replying to anyone. Uh, and we do need this problem fixed. People are going to lose their homes. Um, even if the law's fixed, what happens then? Uh, it's not going to uh, to help us. And so when you're dealing with people here every day that are going to lose their homes, that you need to address that problem. And the only way that people get on with their lives is to to to, to provide some money to help. Because once that happens... The problem you could almost say is fixed. We all, uh, this is stressful, this um, uh, journey that we're on. Uh, people can be helped into government housing, yes, but on the whole, this problem will be fixed. We all get on with our lives and people will be able to live in their own homes still uh, somewhere else. We'll be able to get some money to help us move if there's anywhere else to go to. At least we'll have some support there. So, and, Peter, Peter, you're yeah. going to have people. You're going to have a rally today at the Wontuna Wontuna Caravan yeah. Park, and it starts yep. at twelve or twelve thirty. Twelve noon at two hundred and three Mountain Highway. That's two hundred and three Mountain Highway, Wontuna. Yes, I haven't got any clue how many people might turn up. But you'd like and, people. Uh, you'd like people to come. Oh yeah, and you and, would like yeah, people yeah. to be part of some sort of clear legislative change as well as an answer for your people right at this moment. That's right, we would. And we'll have have petitions there for people to sign as well. And um, and we've got, uh, you know, sort of pamphlets to give out to tell our story. But the more people that turn up, the the better, because it is a peaceful peaceful rally. um, And we'd like people in numbers to say to government that something has to be done. And it's not just for us. Uh, it's really for everybody that, uh, even if they're not living in, in uh, caravan parks or anything like that, uh, we have to, to, to give the government or whichever government is in a message to say that uh, uh, we have to stop um, people sort of having more power over people that, that are trying to live affordably and uh, the more affordability that disappears, the more people will, will own less and less will own more, that sort of thing. And it, it, it is creating more poverty. Um, we, the only way we can get communities to, to uh, gel together and to, to come together is to, in building better communities, we need happier people in communities and, and people are happy when when their lives are affordable they're happy when they've got a sense of security they're happy when people are uh, that they know that live around them have got some uh, interest or or in in uh, sort of a sense of sticking up for each other um, when those sorts of things are in place um, people tend to get on with their lives in a more happier state. And so you have better communities. Once a community is displaced and somehow uh, spread out in, 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 in various areas uh, suddenly and in a forced way, well, then people, uh, there's extra health problems, extra there's housing problems and, and health problems. And so, so the government has to spend more money in the end to fix that problem up. If they fixed it at the 
the proper end, the, the to prevent all, all happening in the first place. Well, if they governed for the people as opposed to then, uh, for the developers. I'm glad you said that. <laughs> I'm glad you said that. <laughs> thanks because, for talking uh, to us, Peter. Oh, we have to finish, uh, I'm afraid. Yeah, that's all right, Annie. Look, thanks for for having us on and uh, I appreciate your support and anyone else that comes along. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bring down the covenant, bring it to its heel. The 7th Annual Melbourne Anarchist Book Fair is on Saturday, August the 12th from 10am to 6pm. The book fair showcases more than 40 stalls and a program of workshops. It's a great opportunity to be introduced to new ideas, <coughs> challenge your thinking and to meet with like-minded folk. It's free and we also provide free childcare. At the Brunswick Town Hall on Saturday, August the 12th from 10am till 6pm. Find out more at www.amelbournebookfair.org or find us on Facebook, the Melbourne Anarchist Book Fair. The Melbourne Anarchist Book Fair is a 3CR supporter. Well, it's the end of the program today and uh, today we uh, got to uh, hear from a demonstration in Sydney about uh, saving nature, stand up, fight back, nature's calling. Uh, we talked to Don Sutherland, who went off to the Next Gen 2017 ACTU campaign conference, which was quite fascinating. And we talked to uh, Peter Gray, who has uh, started a, com- a demonstration against the uh, the lack of care for uh, people who are living at the Wontona Caravan Park, which is a form of affordable housing. The uh, Victorian government legislation doesn't protect them in any way once the uh, property is sold to a private developer. No laws, no care, and uh, people are suffering. No answers. Next uh, week, uh, I couldn't, I'll have to hold over Louisa Bassini's discussion about uh, public housing and uh, how they're being. Uh, gentrified, as well as how the things that happened in London, the Gen- Glen- Glenfield fire uh, and its uh, ramifications for public housing and uh, the class war, uh, actually do impinge on uh, the situation in Australia. We'll talk about that next week. But anyway, going, we're going to disappear. Coming up next is uh, Asia-Pacific Currents. Uh, Next week, hopefully, we will have the return, the wonderful return of Kim, who's uh, having to deal with uh, other things. And uh, we will go out with... uh, uh, Oh, I'll let you hear about the Concrete Gang pull up one more time and then we will go out with Close to Something because we all are Close to Something by Kath Bloom. Here it is again, 3CR Community Radio, the Concrete Gang. We've got an annual pull-up down at the uh, on July the 10th on the RDO for construction workers down at the Palace Hotel, City Road, South Melbourne at 11am. $20 tickets at the door, which entitles you a great feed there. The Palace put on a great feed. Also bring some extra, extra lovely, a few extra chickens in your pocket for the raffle tickets. $10 raffle ticket gives you a chance to win a string bean. It's a $5,000 travel voucher and a $500 booze voucher up for grabs. And live music from the Jaded Cats. Yes, so be there or be square to to, uh, South Melbourne, July the 10th on the RDO, 11am, City Road, South Melbourne, for the award-winning Concrete Gang. There to struggle, there to win! I'm 
so close to something beautiful I think that it's your love And I've been extra dutiful Because it's what I'm dreaming of Now I feel so wild inside I don't know what to do I'm so close to something beautiful And what's beautiful is you I'm so close to getting what I Subscribe to 3CR so that your dollars support Indigenous voices and the struggle for land justice. For Aboriginal people, the greatest grief of all is seeing the country destroyed. And somewhere along the line, we have to realise that we don't actually have the right to do that. That nothing we've ever done has given us the right to do that. Now, you know where I stand on this, because I'm so simple-minded... I think we've just got to admit that this is an Aboriginal country. Just do it. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.